0: Oh, an interview with Lord Michaels. Oh.
1: Widely ho, listenerinos! It's Henry Gilbert here with a special surprise on the old free feed. So look, I know that we brag and promote and all the time tell you guys about all the cool interviews on Patreon, but we never really share them with you because they're exclusive to the Patreon. Well, we decided to give you a little preview podcast of three of our most recent interviews that you folks are missing out on if you're not signed up at patreon.com slash talking simpsons. Why, just in the last four months, We chatted with folks like Mike Scully who had been an executive producer on the Simpsons from season nine through 13, but has been working on the show consistently since at least 1995. We also interviewed Dan Brady who's been working on The Simpsons for 20-plus years as well and invented words like embiggen. Last but not least, our most recent interview is with David Silverman. If you don't know who David Silverman is, he is one of the Mount Rushmore of Simpsons creative forces. He has been working on the show since the shorts, since it began. He has been a director on the show, an animator for the show from the beginning. So many of the drawings and art you love on that show was all Mr. Silverman and under his guidance. And we talked to all of them about their work on the show. It's it's really great. So we're going to start with this clip from our Mike Scully interview, which includes Bob and me apologizing to Mr. Scully for maybe not being the nicest of Simpsons fans about his work back 20-ish years ago. Yeah, it was kind of unprecedented at the time for you to do four seasons after all the ones before you had done two. At least in the fan community was thought like, oh, that's that's never happened before. Was was it seen internally as in as a big deal or was it just like Mike's doing a good job? He'll just keep going.
0: Yeah, I I don't think it was seen internally as a big deal. And we were also still talking. I remember, you know, talking with Matt after season around season 10. and, and And it was at that time we were still talking about wrapping it up. And then we thought, well, maybe we should go to 12, but 12 will definitely be it. Like, that's got to be the end. And so there was a part of me that wanted to be there at the end, to not leave two two years before it finished. So that was part of my decision also at the time, not knowing there would still be another 18 years to
2: go after that.
0: Yeah, but you do, you do find yourself getting invigorated uh, at times when you don't expect it to come along or you find new life in the show that you didn't think was there. Like uh, you do a, a, you know, a two or three episodes that you get on a little bit of a roll, and you feel like, Oh, the gee, we never really explored this before. or We didn't know we could do that or or just try like an experimental kind of a fun show like the Behind the Laughter or something like that where you can break form a little. So we we decided to, you know, what was the rush? We, where were we all going to go in such a hurry? Hmm.
3: You know? <laughs> well, Bill, Bill and Josh who ran season 7 and 8 they always say on commentaries, as a showrunner, your first year is great but your second year almost kills you. You survived yeah. four years. Al Jean is now I think in his 17th or 16th year as uh, a showrunner. <laughs> Did you make adjustments to the role just to survive I'm just curious how the role changed over time as the production changed.
0: Yeah, it does. Uh, the first year, you know, it, it's exciting. It's fun. You're, you're starting with a clean slate. You're not working on the past episodes from the previous showrunner because they're fixing those. So you've kind of, that, that first year, you've just got like a big wall with 22 blank index cards <laughs> on it. And, and like, it's all mine. <laughs> and, and then when you go to the second year, you still have those those you have those twenty two cards up that you still haven't finished from the previous year. You're still working on them in various forms, but now you have to come up with twenty two more new ones, <laughs> and it, it does start to 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 wear on you uh, a little bit. Uh, but it, we had such a good staff, and we had developed a good system. We pretty much had the hours under control, so people people were having personal lives and starting to have families, <laughs> and we we found that a great source of stories when people would come in from home talking about whether it was something you know you know with their kids or their wife or you know something. Something else that went on in their life besides working at the Simpsons, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, that made a big difference from a storytelling standpoint. and, Somehow we just kind of found fresh blood and figured out ways to incorporate a lot of the side characters into Simpson stories, which was an also thing. And you try not to, you try not to betray the characters uh, that the audience loves or you may try and find new facets of them. I know sometimes I get blamed for making Homer stupid, like <laughs> <laughs> Like apparently, the first eight years he was a genius, <laughs> 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 but you know that comes with we found over the years that the bar keeps being moved for like when the when did the Simpsons jump the shark you know <laughs> is, you know, and there's there was people. When the internet first started, and I want to say maybe around ninety three, four, and when there was like alt TV, Simpsons, and you were first kind of seeing the emergence of comment groups and things like that,
4: mm-hmm, and imme- mm-hmm.
0: it me- it was amazing that immediately, like the first comments were time to cancel this thing <laughs> put it out of its these <laughs> like people went straight to the negative over the years there's been so many episodes from not only from that point but from to present day that people are still enjoying or episodes that they claim to hate the first time that now are considered classics and You know, I I don't know if it's just the bar just keeps being moved or time and nostalgia or or people getting older. I'm not sure what it is. Uh, When we did the marathon a few years ago on FXX, we didn't know what people's reactions would be where they ran all the seasons back to back. And I anticipated like this kind of Twitter storm of hate uh, (laughs) coming at a certain point. And the fans really surprised me. It was very sweet. I was getting a lot of tweets from people, from guys who were, like, in their, like, say, mid-30s, mid to late-30s, telling me stories of how they remember watching a a certain episode when they were 8 or 10 years old, and now they were watching it with their kids who were that age. And what a great moment it was for them to share that, you know, with their kids. So people were coming at it from a slightly different perspective, which was kind of fun and i found myself getting caught up in the marathon and it was like it was like watching my life kind of whip before <laughs> my eyes you know? cuz i was remembering my own kids getting older during that time
1: now that marathon was a real magical like couple weeks there cuz it felt like everybody was experiencing the simpsons at the same time on on social media and online but you yeah, actually you mentioned the online criticism thing i did I didn't want to ask you about that. First off, I wanted to say, like, probably in my (laughs) younger days, I maybe said... Something not nice about you on yeah. on the internet. Me too. I think <laughs> I'm, I'm
3: sorry. I'm sorry too, Mike. I think I made a few yeah, uh, don't, cranky don't about it, cranky man. Mike Scully posts yeah, maybe 20 it. years ago on all TV <laughs> Simpsons, but uh, I'll, I hope you forgive us.
0: That's called passion. Uh, we love it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah. So, what, I mean, what was it like being kind of a, li- a lightning rod at times for for passionate Simpsons fans like that? Uh, fortunately for, for
0: me, it wasn't so bad. I was hearing it more from other people. I'm kind
4: of,
0: I mean, I'm, I'm 61 years old. I don't, you know, my standard line was, gee, how did people make great television before the internet could help them? <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> and I still feel that way to this day. I don't find, you know, a lot of the comments particularly helpful or insightful, but every once in a while you'll get one and go, oh, there's something to that. That's an interesting thought. But the amount of of like personal like, insults <laughs> that, that you have to sift through to get to that insightful, you know, comment. I personally find not usually worth the time. Mm. There was a point I remember. Uh, we actually checked. I think Al Jean checked it out once. There, there was a site called no homers dot net that really like hated me with a passion <laughs> and, and we had checked it out because the show had gotten in the habit of checking them after every episode to see what they liked, mm. and you, you never know how many people are actually in these groups and fox had a way of like tracking it down to see how many people were well and at one point, we found out it was 62 people
3: <laughs> uh,
0: out of the entire world. Wow. Uh, like, well, why, why are we even looking at this? <laughs> you know? So I think you know, at the end of the day, we, you know, we got into this without the Internet, you know, uh, on our own instincts and what we think makes a good story. And I think there's a, there's a, an inherent danger when the internet starts dictating, you know, uh, uh, you know, stories and characters, and, and you know, at the same time, I think if you're the type of show which The Simpsons is not, if you're the type of show that commits to like a season-long story arc, like you know, we're going to follow this one story all the way through, this these two characters are going to have a relationship and this is what you're going to be seeing all year. And if the audience isn't buying it, I think there is some benefit in that, Hmm. uh, that there may be something you're blind to. Uh, that you're just not seeing that the audience is seeing, but because of the the nature of The Simpsons is the kind of reset at the end of every episode. I, I don't think it's that kind of a show. But and I also find myself like, and as, nothing as it could be age. I'm just too lazy to write in and say you did this wrong or I don't <laughs> like it because I know how much work goes into every single episode, whether it comes out great or awful. It the same amount of work went in actually. <laughs> You know, the worse the episode, chances are much more work has gone into it. Mm. Because because you know during the process something's not right. You're desperately trying to fix it. You're running out of time and money. You're trying not to take resources away from other potentially good episodes all to fix this one problem child, you know. Mm. So there's certain ones that I just, like, look at, particularly you mentioned before, the commentaries. Uh, Going back to the commentaries was an an occasional painful experience for me because it was a chance to relive a series of bad decisions. on <laughs> uh, my part, of, of just kind of go, oh, man. Or, or the worst-case scenario of all, you're sitting there 10 years later, and you go, I got it. I know how to fix it.
4: <laughs> oh,
3: man. <laughs> well, Mike, I, I think uh, one of the most polarizing moments in your seasons was definitely the death of Maude Flanders. I'd like to know just how that decision was made, and was there any internal debate as to whether she was the right character or whether any character could she, could die? Because it was a big, like, there was a lot of promotion behind that episode, too. Mm.
0: Yeah, it w- that was uh, a moment, and, and I would love to say that it came out of, like, months of soul-searching <laughs> and uh, a desire to shake things up. But it really, the honest answer is, it came down to a contract negotiation between the studio and the actress that played Maude. And it, it just wasn't working out between them for reasons that I will leave between them. Mm-hmm. uh. And she made a, the actress made a decision that she didn't want to do the show anymore. And, you know, I, I talked to her personally and I told her to really, you know, think it over. You know, I could tell, you can tell when the studio is like still playing the game and when they're done. And I could tell they were done and they weren't going to budge anymore. And I knew she wasn't going to be happy, but you want to give the actress the opportunity to you know, make their own decision and determine their own fate. Uh, It certainly was not a case where she was fired or she did anything wrong. They just couldn't come to financial terms. So she decided to quit the show. So we had a decision to make, which was, do we bring in a new watch, Flanders, which we did try for a while. And then also it was, you know, or do we do something with the show? We've got Ned Flanders, this God-fearing, you know, family-loving, you know, neighbor of Homer's that everyone loves. And do we actually do something in the show after 10 years and, and shake it up a little and the decision was made quicker than i would have thought i won't say who the writer was but somebody <laughs> said let's kill let's kill Mott. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and like within uh, a day or two we had come up with this storyline of how she died and what the impact would be on not only on Ned, but, uh, you know, Ned and Homer's relationship. And we wound up getting an episode that I think came out pretty well. Uh I, you know, I have one or two regrets on it. But, you know, Homer feeling bad for Ned. I mean, because Homer's such a jerk in the first <laughs> half of that episode. Yeah. I mean, he's such a jerk. He literally is the reason she died. <laughs> uh, and, but the second half. He's trying so hard to help Nell, Ned move on with his life. You know, it's all shorthand. It's it's all done in 21 minutes, which is insane. But overall, I um, mean, I haven't watched the episode in a long time, but I remember being pleased with Homer's you know behavior and commitment to Ned in the second half of the show, and also I think. It gave us a chance to explore Ned as a single dad, as as the guy who nothing you know wrong seems to happen to, with the exception of the Hurricane Nettie episode. You know, the guy who seems to have it all together, family wise. And it gave us a chance to maybe shake Ned's confidence a little bit, and and have him date and try some other things. You know, was it the the right call? I. It felt like it at the time. I always had a theory on Ned, and this is purely my own theory. It was never discussed on the show. But my personal theory was that Ned Flanders is who Homer would secretly like to be, but knows it's way too much work, and he doesn't have it in him. You know, because of because of the way Marge sees Ned. Um, and and that Marge thinks he's such a good person and a good father and tries to do the right thing. Yeah, we've seen Marge lose her cool occasionally with Ned, but, but more so actually with Maud. Maud was much more judgmental than Ned was, in, in my opinion. Um, so that was kind of like my you know, little theory there. But the whole thing all, you know, came out of a, a business decision. It was not. Hmm. St- it did not start as a creative decision.
3: Mm, okay. How about the uh, the sobering up of Barney? And I will say, we
0: did delete a scene from the show with the kid that I still have mixed emotions about, and I don't know if it's on one of the DVDs. Hmm. We watched it. We had a scene of Homer telling Rod and Todd what had happened and why, and what's going to happen with their lives. And I will. We ultimately deleted the scene because we found that comedically we couldn't dig ourselves out of that hole the remainder of the episode. Uh. It was just too difficult. And I look back on it now and it's whatever, 20 plus years ago. Some of that might be, might have been my own immaturity at the mm-hmm. time. That I, you know, it's one of those you think like you, you do these shows and you just move on and you forget them, but every once in a while there's something that just kind of sticks with you and you wish like you could go back and take another crack at something and figure out a way to 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 do it better and that's one of those for me.
3: Hmm. Well, a similar change that was made during your seasons was uh, Barney changing. Uh, he became sober. What was the intent behind that? Did you just run out of drunk jokes to tell or or were you looking for a, a different characterization of Barney, maybe one that wasn't so pathetic?
0: No, that came in as I walked into my office one day, and there was a script on my desk written by uh, Dan Castellaneta, who plays Homer, <laughs> and Barney, uh, among many others, and his wife, Deb Lacusta. Uh, they, ru- they had written this script completely on spec, uh, never ran the story by anybody. They're both very talented writers and, and so took it upon themselves to write a script and see what the reaction would be. And the idea was that Barney tries to get sober. And I read the script, and obviously very nervously, because I love Dan and Deb so much, <laughs> and I wanted to love it, and it was terrific. They had put so much thought into this, never talked to any of the writing staff about it. They did it completely on their own. And we sat down and had a long meeting about it, and we were trying to figure out what to, you know, how to tell the, the story, and particularly the ending of the story, because if I'm not mistaken, in their version, at the end, Barney goes back to being an alcoholic, mm. and I think think my memory of it is I thought it would be too sad of an ending <laughs> if we see Barney go on this whole you know, uh, you know journey, I hate to use that word journey but uh, <laughs> to uh, do better himself to overcome like what is clearly the biggest problem in his life and then fail at the end I worried that that would be a dissatisfying ending uh, and I and maybe Dan might have felt that the character was getting a little tired. I But I, I don't want to speak for him, but yeah. I, that seems to come to mind. So ultimately, we did the episode where Barney wants to get his helicopter's license. He wants to make something of his life. And I think it ends with, if I'm not mistaken, they get him a, hooked on coffee at the end.
3: That's right. Yeah, uh, Moe starts
1: making coffee just to keep making money off of Barney.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, but that was the beginning of kind of Dan and Deb writing episodes for the show. And we did kind of over time start to miss the old Barney. Like You didn't see him for a while. And then we didn't know what to do with him sober. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we did kind of slip him back eventually. Mm -hmm. I think also part of that too, for me was I grew up with a lot of alcoholics in my family. So I think the The failure at the end uh, of him going back to be an alcoholic, although true to my family, not not my mother or father, but a lot of aunts and uncles, felt just too sad to me. So I I think my personal feelings may have fought what might have been the better ending to the story.
1: wasn't that fun haven't changed a bit have we next up is clips from me and bob interviewing dan graney again if you don't know dan graney started as a writer of the simpsons in season seven his first credited writing was on king size homer but he has given a lot more to the show than just that he has been in the writing room helping out with so many memorable jokes even if he wasn't the credited writer of the episode which dan graney explains to us here
3: In interviews and commentaries, I've heard that Oakley and Weinstein years, those were the longest hours, the staying till 3 a.m. to, you know, finally figure out that one joke you needed. Was that your experience there?
2: It was my privilege to have that experience. I loved it. I was very, I was more than happy to stay till 3 a.m. trying to get the right sign joke or the right name for Don Brodka. You know the detective, <laughs> which was one of those occasions where we stayed so late for hours. And yes, there was definitely some psychological problems that were producing. That. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, they're my kind of psychological problems. You know, I, I if I didn't want if that wasn't something I was up for, I was in the wrong place, in my feeling. And mm. so I thought it was tremendously fun. And I remember one time, I forget which episode, but we worked on this line, like somebody had painted us. We'd written ourselves into a corner with the setup. You know, men are from Mars and women are from Venus, you know, which was that popular book in the 90s about gender differences. Mm-hmm. And that was the setup. We needed something that was a punchline off of that. which just could not get it. <laughs> and, uh, and at some point, people started putting money on the table. Like, whoever gets this line <laughs> will get all this money. And I think it was like one or two in the morning, and there was like several hundred dollars in a pile on the table. And George Meyer uh, pitched... At Homer, somebody, Margaret said, well, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. And then Homer says, fine, give us the one with the monsters. It you know? <laughs> wow. was a good line. That's a great line. It was I a great that. line. We were stuck in this little corner. Mm-hmm. And, with you know, it kind of, it would be fun. you get a little intoxicated, a little punchy <laughs> in those late night sessions. So I loved it. Right. Well, they had very high standards. And, yeah, I think in their first year, you know, they really had no ability to balance other things. But, you know, I didn't have a family <laughs> whatever <laughs> I well,
1: loved it well, do you remember what your first like your first pitched joke was that went in the show we, we interviewed Mike Scully and he remembered when he finally struck up the courage to pitch a joke in the room because he he found it very uh, intimidating uh, do, do you recall what yours was
2: well I was pitching right when I walked through the door because mm. uh, these were people Bill is like a, a buddy of mine Josh is a buddy of mine I felt very comfortable immediately and I've always pitched more than I probably should. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like one of my mottos that I've had to re- monitor that I've had to reiterate is, "Hey, they can't all be gems." So I'm, I'm <laughs> sure I pitched a hundred bad things before I got something in the script. And I think having talked to some people who were there, they were pretty annoyed that this new kid was coming in, <laughs> some guy coming in, pitching all this bad shit, not knowing it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> And just being going on his merry way, but eventually I did notice I wasn't getting things in the script, uh, mm-hmm. and and so that became a concern. And I possibly the first thing that I was like sure went in the script might have been the name of the video game Bone Storm.
1: Oh wow, that's that yeah is... that, that
2: might that might have been. And then there was another thing that went in and came out that I so loved I still which was been an experience of mine. But we needed a name of a country band. Something and I remember pitching a uh, furl flag and the second helping boys. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was pretty good, darn darn good name for for a jug pan.
3: Well, <laughs> Bloodstorm is great, and I bet several video game companies are mad that you stole that because there have been games like Bulletstorm and Bloodstorm. They can't use Bonestorm now because it's a joke.
2: Right, but we built, we beat them to it. I think that like to be that Bulletstorm they might have done anyway, but but Bloodstorm, I don't think anybody would have gone that freaking psycho. <laughs> <laughs> bulletstorm for sure. That's that's easy. But but bloodstorm, that's 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 really easy
1: wrong <laughs> uh, well so you know we just did an episode of our podcast on your first episode uh, as credit writer king size homer i, I know you mentioned that on uh, the commentary too that george meyer you know put a ton of jokes in it and and you you were giving a lot of credit on there but i did wonder like what what did you miss from your script that you wish was in there or were there any like cut jokes or plot points that you you wish were in there
2: oh well well, one, I'll say that George contributed a lot of jokes. The story and the take on Homer, the joyful, the joie de vivre, was Bill and Josh. Mm. You know, the basic story was a Bill and Josh story, and that Homer, and that it's very much Bill's sensibility that Homer would delight mm-hmm. in this, this uh, gaining of weight and all this. And so the, the fun, the whole attitude of it did come from Bill and Josh. And George pitched a lot of great jokes, too, super important. Um, but <laughs> there was one line when... Uh, Homer is wearing his muumu, mm-hmm. and he sees himself in the mirror. In my original draft, there's Homer was like, "I took Homer down further emotionally <laughs> to a more emotionally dark place," and and Homer like looking at himself in the mirror, and the whole facade of jollity breaks up, and he goes, "I feel bad about myself," <laughs> <laughs> and that and that line became. George Myers mantra for the next five years. <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> and so that was very gratifying. It, it it didn't go in the script, but it had a life of its own, you know. So that that was that was fun. I
1: love that. I can just imagine Dan <laughs> Castellaneta just very depressed and like I feel bad about. You can myself. hear it
3: in your head. Oh, yeah, that's
2: great. I think that that maybe represented you know if it were like. A little bit of my own style and voice There was a little bit starker, blunter, harsh tone that mm-hmm. could sometimes come out, you know. So maybe that was, like, just not within—that jumped out to George because it was just not quite the tone the <laughs> show had,
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. So uh, Summer of 442 is a great episode, uh, one that you wrote. Yeah. How much of that did you pull from your own childhood, or was that just, like, sort of an amalgam of kids who no, grew that, up in the 60s the and thing. 70s?
2: No, that is, was a very personal episode for me very much based on my life, but it was also a very personal episode for a number of other people that were there. So it's like, it's like I wrote, that story I can definitely say is like my, you know, my story. I wrote it, I pitched it, but other people so had lived such similar things that, it be, that they were also able to get right into those shoes you know, and, and pitch from their own experience. So though I say, yes, this is what came out at the end was quite close to what I pitched. It was also very much owned by some other people. In particular, I think of Steve Tompkins Hmm. who's one of our great writers, you know, who loved Steve more than most people in the comedy world, was like novelistic or poetic in his obsession with observed detail, you know, and he just loved to get stuff right. And so like, I just remember like, there's something about a decorative rowboat full of geraniums. You know, there's like little little touches all throughout that were like Steve, who is also like me from Massachusetts, also went down to Cape Cod and just want and totally was trying to get everything right. Hmm. And then I think Bill and Josh had gone to this their summers to Maryland or something. And, you know, like these sort of like porn, you know, Homer buying <laughs> pornography and everything. That's pure Bill loving like American graffiti and being that, you know, so so I think that and the dud and all that that's kind of bill but mm-hmm. but the the Lisa story and the Barton Lisa rivalry that was pure me but it was but then it became owned by other people too you know mm-hmm. as cuz they had such they related to it and uh so and then the ending thing you know was I pitched that thing with the crab or whatever so you know the tone I think the tone and to the take was I I have some ownership of but it's Jointly, it's joint custody. Hmm.
3: So, uh, that episode and also My Sister, My Sitter have a. Uh, they both feature a schism between Bart and Lisa. Is that just a coincidence or is that a dynamic that you like to write in your episodes?
2: That's a coincidence. My Sister, My Sitter was probably Bill Oakley's idea. Hmm. You know, I think that was his pitch and, and, you know, the indignity of it. I think that episode is really about indignity. You know, like your older boy is being babysat by his younger sister. It's just <laughs> infuriating. So, that was really. That's much more Bill's episode. I would say that, that for me, the themes of, of uh, the summer one was like themes I related to of like personal re, you know repositioning and reinvention, rival, sibling rivalry, certainly. The other thing that I thought was a little note that I've always been drawn to was sort of like Marge's desire to be Lisa's friend.
4: <laughs> oh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and it's it being a little sad. You know, like the idea of the lonely mother that wants to be friends with her children or whatever, that is definitely something I have I I I feel it, you know? Mm-hmm. What can I say? Well in that summer
1: <laughs> in that summer episode, I think my one of my favorite lines in that is when Marge just so innocently innocently corrects Lisa about Gore Vidal and just like <laughs> girls, Lisa, boys kiss girls.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that, thats a room pitch, and God only knows who that was. That's but yes, so that was Marge is nice where you could do things that are clueless, but, but not mean. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, like I don't know. I think in another episode, I think Tom Yam will pitch a line when they're at Disneyland or something that Marge says, "I hope I don't eat an elephant." <laughs> <Or something laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> like, she says, "What is wrong with you?" She's <laughs> just cluelessness. But if you've had, you know, known some clueless ladies, it's, you know, you have mm-hmm. to have a certain. Tenderness for
3: him. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, I've been listening to a bunch of commentaries to prepare for this interview. And one thing that came wow. up a few times was the fact that there was going to be a Planet Hollywood episode uh, and not much was said about it other than the fact that uh, it was never made. Can you talk more about that? Like who wrote it? If the jokes ended up no, anywhere? I,
2: I know. I know nothing about that. that oh, wow. That's a high, man- a high management level beyond my uh, experience.
3: Oh. I, I now I just want to know like what it was all about, but uh, it's that and the yeah, prince no. episode. Yeah,
2: well, there's the prince episode. You know, there was a an episode about a a cult like religious organization <laughs> mm. that I think ran into uh, some bit of a minefield that I never got produced.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, uh, the movementarians one got kind of close to that, but it's not. It that's not the same though. I think there was another one that went much closer, <laughs> uh, <Wow. laughs> and. uh too close. It's mm-hmm. we're too close to the sun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, gone a little bit in order here on your, your credited episodes. But you did write the Genesis Tub segment in Trio 7, which, did did you pitch that one too? Or did somebody else say, like, no, we're going to carry this? I don't
2: think so. I, I don't really recall. I, d- I doubt it. You know, I was, or maybe, actually, I think I did pitch it, but I didn't know that it had been a Night Gallery episode. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know. It, I, I feel like somebody's shrinking is not, you know, it's pretty obvious, right? <laughs> <laughs> so so I don't feel it's like a great uh, brainstorm uh, to think of a, a shrink, shrinking episode.
1: But. Uh, and were you aware that uh, Treehouse segment was then used in... As an example of Simpsons did it in the South Park episode about Simpsons did yeah, it? Yeah, that
2: was, that was gratifying. And <laughs> you've got to give those guys respect for that episode. Like, mm-hmm. That's a courageous thing, to, a generous way to respond to that thing. But they did some great stuff, stuff that we haven't done.
1: But we, <laughs> well, you guys can't like murder as many people on The Simpsons as they can.
2: <laughs> can I uh, mention one thing? Is While I can see that the credited episodes provide structure to an interview, and I get it. Um, it's very interesting that there's a whole other side of the street, you know? Like, mm. I would say that on the one hand, like, my credited episodes, you know, overstate. If you said, oh, I wrote this, or I wrote this, I, that they overstate my contribution by the credit. Now, you've got to get into that, and you correct that, and that's great. But there's another thing, which is all of our participation in the to- total culture of it, is kind of not re- ca- captured by that. Like, it's, it, I don't know if anything can capture it, but like little motifs and ideas and concerns and takes. I'm just saying, if you're going to take all my episodes away from me, which is fine, <laughs> fair, you've got to give me a certain percentage of everybody else's episodes. You got to figure out a method. <laughs>
1: Well, I well, I will say uh, you had mentioned some of the stuff uh, like Bone Storm, but also in that episode, get the Range Rover mom and Gavin. Like, I I do really love those pair because I think when that episode aired, I was a little bit of Gavin. I was <laughs> the I was the spoiled kid who was mean to his mom. And yeah,
3: I think that is the first joke about a millennial ever put on television. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think so.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I saw that happening in the dry cleaner. I couldn't believe it. How terrible this kid was to his mother and how indulgent she was of him in return and then I, then I realized this is something that's going on so you know i thought it was funny we put it in and a bunch of the writers loved it i think mike scully thought this kid was so awful he just wanted nothing more to do with it <laughs> <laughs> mike so disapproved of that treating your mother that way that <laughs> he banished the character
3: well, I think he was the one family man at the time, or one of a few on the staff. Right,
2: right. And I think he's a really good dad, and you know, and you know, I think takes some of those issues more seriously than you know, or you know, we're seeing them from an outside perspective. Of, you know, just look at this horrible family.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you you mentioned yeah, what it's like to be in the writers' room and having to and just contributing the whole thing. Like when when you get. Isn't it when you get assigned a script like you're kind of out of the room for for a little while, right? When you're writing a script, like do you, are there then some episodes like you didn't get uh, really? Uh, oh
2: yeah, put stuff so, in? I'll, I'll, among my many list of grievances, <laughs> my long list of grievances is the stuff that I didn't help write.
4: that mm. is
1: so
2: <laughs> so hurtful that they could do such amazingly great work without me. But they just, they let the facts speak for themselves. Chimpan A to chimpanzee <laughs> whole like. Troy McClure, you know, it's mm-hmm. not the Planet of the Apes, I want to get off. That wasn't because I was out on script, it was because I think we were working in two rooms at that point, mm. and the other room did this amazing thing. And it's like, what? <laughs> and I can't claim to be part of it. If I'd been in the room, I could persuade myself that somehow I had been the person that got the ball rolling. There would be some way for me to <laughs> argue myself into, into believing I had contributed. But I had nothing to do with it. And you know i just loved it when as soon as i heard it it was it was truly really painful <laughs> <laughs> what and i've seen that again again and again i've seen the show do good work without me so you
3: know. <laughs> well as you were telling us before uh, the fact that your name is on an episode just means you wrote that first draft or the first uh, script for right. the pro- for the episode what are uh, right, but, what are misconceptions i just
2: want you guys to find a way to reflect the other side of the <laughs> oh, yeah, point which sure. is that that we that we give and we give and we give to other people's episodes and have you know this it's like you're an ingredient in a soup
3: mm-hmm.
2: that's all i'm saying i'm an ingredient in the soup
3: do you get a lot of misconceptions about what being a Simpsons writer is like? Like people think you write for a certain character, or that every word in the script is yours. Do you hear just a lot of, I mean, people approaching you not really knowing how a comedy writer works.
2: Well, the misconception I'm encountering right now is that you think anybody cares about the Simpsons. <laughs> oh,
3: <laughs> we do. <laughs>
2: you, you do, and uh, uh, cognoscenti do, of course. And I love, we love that, and we try to still, you know, produce episodes that you would like, but it's not as cool as it once was. I'll say that, mm-hmm. you know, like I don't like what you tend to get these days is, you know, Oh, are they still making new ones of those? Oh, and geez. It seems like 50% of the time that's truly innocent, you know, from some regular person and 50% of the time it's a, Sneaky little jab by somebody that knows perfectly well that they're making. <laughs>
4: Ouch.
1: I, I also know you did do the Everything's Coming at Millhouse line, which I've seen get used a lot by folks in the Simpsons fan community or just online by people making jokes. Like, what do you think of that type of fandom, or I guess shit posting is the term for it, of just people who make goofy posts using Simpsons lines and making some kind of fun turn on it?
2: Well, you know, God bless him. I feel like, you know, the culture of of ownership of ideas and ownership of of things is a little overstated Mm-mm. you know like when you know, even everything come up millhouse you know, obviously the phrase everything's coming up roses preexisted so i added one word <laughs> <laughs> so you know i i can't be too precious about it and i like the recombinatorial element of our culture and when i see the obverse argument being made that you can't appropriate things, you can't use things, I feel like that is, you know, suffocating creativity. I'd rather people make it their own. So mm-hmm. that's fine with me. Um, but I will say that I much prefer the people saying or doing things that showed that it had some meaning to them as it, what I originally intended. You know, I've met somebody who had a tattoo that said, Everything's coming up, Millhouse. <laughs> I knew a bunch of art. Artist people that are now in their late thirties, and you know that had a certain resonance for them of a poor kid, the loser, whatever, getting his day in the sun, and the generosity <laughs> of it, you know, ha- had some meaning to them. So, and that that was gratifying to me. They can, then they can wreck it. Sure,
1: fine, go ahead. <laughs> I know. I, I would say in Simpsons fandom, there's probably more Millhouses than Barts. Uh, oh, for so. sure.
2: <laughs> oh, well, it was pretty much a room full of Millhouses right there. You know, but <laughs> written by Millhouse. <laughs>
3: We asked this with uh, um, Bill Oakley, and I'm just curious if you had any input on this. Is, uh, were there any ideas or jokes you really wanted to uh, make during your run there that just couldn't make it, that couldn't be fleshed out?
2: No, I don't think so. I mean, I've had episodes that I've pitched that got rejected that were giant catastrophes. <laughs> uh, like Pitching and, and eating it hard was certainly not fun and the episodes themselves I think were good you know like so they were but to me at least they were somewhat realized when I pitched it I had it it was all there you know and so that they if they didn't say yes to it is hurtful but I don't feel like it was something that was like left undone I feel like well I did it and they just <laughs> didn't didn't want it
1: And lastly, from our interview with David Silverman, he shares with us some incredible details about how the shorts went into production back then, what the first years of The Simpsons were like, and even how they tried to keep the shorts going on Tracy Ullman once the show began in 1989.
3: So, was there any thought about continuing the shorts on Tracy Ullman after uh, you got picked up for a season? Well, you know, they, you tried, actually.
5: Uh, Matt had it in mind that I would, like, supervise uh, and direct um, another animator or two. I mean, we actually did an MG49. I, I think, I think I, on Twitter I posted some storyboards on it that I still have then wow. um, it was uh, I forget what it's called I don't know if it's called Bart's Nightmare it was called something else but in any case and we had this animator do it and he animated the whole thing and it was really bad it
4: just, oh. just
5: you know mm. just it just looked awful and the timing was bad and it you know it was sort of like it seemed like it was it was made by some. It, you could tell it was just not made by Wes and myself and it didn't have the same rhythm it didn't, it didn't look right it didn't, you know it, and it, it just felt wrong so I think Matt just kind of shrugged and said, no, nah, we've got enough to do. Uh, or, you know, Matt and Jim, uh, I don't know who made the decision, but it clearly, it was terrible. And there was nothing I could do about it. They didn't blame me. Thankfully, <laughs> but he realized that it was sort of interesting in a way. I said, well, I guess that, 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 that speaks well of Wes and myself. And it hadn't been the first doing the Tracy Ullman show. Maybe it, wouldn't have gotten as far as it did
1: wow. uh, I, I, but
5: anyhow that's what happened
1: I had always assumed it was just well yeah, we're working on the half hour now so we can't do the shorts anymore but wow pre- pre- pretty much pretty much i mean that was that was sort of the the
5: the real thing that you know gave us in that direction, but we gave it a shot mm. and uh it didn't work
2: <laughs> at all <laughs> uh
1: well man, that's it was just
0: miserable mm-hmm <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, so comparing working on those shorts to like a, you know, the music videos, like you, you worked on Deep, Deep Trouble. I believe it was Brad Bird uh, oversaw Do the Bart Man. Like how did those compare? Oh, yeah, Brad, Brad
5: Bird not oversaw. He worked like crazy. He was, uh, he was, I think he was in Hungary or somewhere animating it. And, you know, he went overseas to, to supervise it and follow it up and make sure it was great. And, you know, he did a terrific job. I mean, they originally wanted me to do it, but I couldn't do it. I was doing five episodes. I couldn't, I couldn't do wow. a music video on top of that. I would have a heart attack. Um, <laughs> and as it was, I think at one point I said, you know, guys, I'm going to flop on the floor like a fish. And I did. <laughs> I mean, I just joke, but I think they thought, oh, David's cracking up. So, But I was just joking around, but it wasn't a lot of work. That was the strangest part of my life is that I was getting, you know, you know, like this is nineteen, this is nineteen ninety, I guess. Like uh, two years earlier, I just was, you know, a an obscure animator working on the Tracy Ullman show, and then <laughs> David Silverman, Line One, Michael Jackson for David Silverman oh, on Line boy. One. Like, oh, what's going on here? You know, because <laughs> Michael wanted me to do the video, and it's like, well, I'm going to work on it, Michael. Get to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's when Brad assumed the duties and he worked really hard on it, but it came out great. That was uh do the Barton. And that was a another great uh, sort of revelation to us about, you know, uh directing and shots and angles and so forth.
1: Yeah, I think in both uh, of those, you can really tell the, there's such attention to detail and it has, you know, fuller animation, I guess you'd say. And yeah. There's a lot more like yeah. in-jokes packed in. It's just, they're amazing to look at even now, I'd say.
5: Yeah, and uh, uh, Greg Vanzo handled Deep, Deep Trouble. And mm. I can't remember my involvement. I know that I storyboarded a number of things in it that he followed very closely. Uh, i got to give it to Greg on that one. Mm-hmm. Greg Vanzo did a great job That's on it. He's great. That. I, I had some in- input in it, you know. That's about it.
3: So, uh, the Simpsons uh, transitioned from Klasky Chupo to Film Roman after season three. Can you talk about what that was like for as an animator, as a director?
5: It it was fine. I mean, I I can't speak to the the situation between uh, Gracie Films and Klasky Chupo. They just weren't getting. They weren't really getting along. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. They, they weren't, uh, weren't having a good business relationship. So that was a, the point of the move. In many ways, again, no slight to anybody, but it was, it was better for us as animators. The facility was better. It was a bigger space. I would say uh, Phil Roman ran a really great uh, studio. He was a great guy, really, really cared deeply for his employees and his animators because, you know, of course, he was an animator and an animation director himself and came up through the ranks. So he had much uh, respect for everybody, and uh, it was, in many ways, I would say, it was an improvement, just oh. in the in the way uh, things were run and things were were managed. They were managed better. There was a better production staff, and as a director, I found that uh, there was more assistance from the production team. Oh, great! Uh,
1: That's good. Well, you, around that time, not to say that all the episodes didn't look great because they always did back then i love them all but i would say that your treehouse of horror 4 to me is the best looking like best animated episode of the series like what what came together <laughs> well, <thank you. laughs> was there anything particular about the production on that one that that you think yielded those results
5: i don't know i know i did a lot of animation on it i don't know how i had the time to do it but i did i guess guessed in some ways at that point as as a, a supervising animator i was able to uh, so, i'm sorry supervising director i didn't have to do as much uh, i i don't know i worked out and i was able to do a lot of the animation on it myself i don't know how i had the time i i, I think it's no secret that the scene their dogs and they're playing poker <laughs> uh, i animated i basically animated it completely in between after in between it's wow. because I was very into the much into that reading, and there were other scenes that I had a lot to do. I remember I, I really just wanted to get that transition of Bart from vampire boy into a bat, you know, just right. So I kind of animated that more or less. And
1: yeah, I was going to say know, that but, one. Like I, we when we rewatched it for the podcast, like I was just freeze framing every shot of that yeah. transformation. Like, oh my god! Yeah, it
5: was it was fun, and, and it, it just worked out. The uh, Partly too, uh too. I don't know. We just, we just, we just had a great time. We just, I, I really enjoyed doing the Chernobog, uh version of Flanders of the Devil. Oh, that's
4: uh, great!
5: Yeah, and it was fun doing the Devil. I, I had, I was able to do a lot of personal stuff, and I designed the Gremlin character. Well, it wasn't hard designing uh, the the Devil Flanders, just Flanders with horns. <laughs> um, but no, there were a lot of great things, and I had a lot of great artists working on it. You know, Mike Mike Anderson was was a lad artist for me. I, you know, he's, he's great, great animator uh this fellow Ishvan um my horse, who's from J- uh, hungary he's an incredible draftsman, incredible cartoonist so i had a very strong team as well although mike always chides me that one of the first things i gave him to lay out was this scene where it was an animation background where they in the kitchen where you go from one shot then we animate and reveal the kids he said, thanks a lot, David.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
5: well, I appreciate it. No, I I love that show, too. I think it came out really well. Oh, I think of the other thing, too. I was a big fan of the night gallery, so I really wanted to get that right. The vocal readings were so much fun to work with, and um, uh, I also had fun designing the uh, the paintings, you know, the Magritte painting and the uh, some I just sort of came up myself with the the, the Picasso-esque Lisa on the saxophone. Uh, it was a lot of fun.
1: I love Homer's little elbow movements when he goes, super fun, happy slide. That's great. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, and that was Brad.
4: Brad oh Bear's wow suggestion.
1: nice because <laughs> we were all fans
5: of humphrey bear in the in the uh <laughs> the, the uh, great disney shorts of the 50s that's right uh and uh that was sort of a humphrey bear move well brad also came up with that great little movement of homer uh you know popping on his toes in the land of chocolate sequence that was his suggestion as well i remember he was saying he used to do that so uh I ended up, I animated partly, well, as you know, I animated uh, Homer at the beginning, the, the skip and all that sort mm-hmm. of thing, and then chocolate bunnies hopping, and then animated that part, and that little bit, too, that was Brad's great suggestion.
3: Yeah, that that Homer Skip ended up showing up in uh, Black Widower too with uh, Bob and uh, was it Patty or Selma? Selma. Yeah, so I, I think you guys must be yeah. a big fan of that animation cycle.
5: Yeah, I kind of re I kind of reworked it in that. In fact, when I was doing uh, when we do the Hollywood Bowl in twenty fourteen, I really got a call like uh, in January that they need something for the flyer right away, and I said, <laughs> okay, I can do it over the weekend. He said, well, can you do it tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks for the the notice. (laughs) And uh, I actually have a cell of Homer uh, skipping in the Land of Chocolate. I looked at that and said, okay, I'm just going to take this image and put a conductor's uniform on him. (laughs) 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 Give him a baton and do a sort of thing of the Hollywood Bowl. And how do you guys like this? Okay, (laughs) good yeah, I'm really clever. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so uh, when you meet fans of the show, what would you say is the most common misconception they have about the production of The Simpsons?
5: Well the number. I, I'm always I'm always intrigued that people will ask me, well, you know hey, they don't know., uh, people will ask do you record the voices first or after the animation? And of course mm-hmm. you record the voices first because you don't want to hamstring the performances, and uh, you want to be inspired by the performances and uh, they inspire. Not only physical performances, but hearing the voice, you know—once they're recorded, you start thinking about. It sort of even helps your staging a little bit. I also. Oh, the other misconception is: so it takes you about a week to do an episode, right? So yeah, <laughs> <in> a week. <laughs> Would I, you believe six months <laughs> of actual production? Uh, I mean, that's so,
1: like yeah, that's a fast one, right? Six months. It's six months when I when I say six months, I mean from the point of
5: storyboarding to the point of getting the first back in color. But really, it takes. Uh, more like nine months. When you think about, you know, well, let's take example of the episode that I that I wrote co-wrote with uh, Brian Kelly, but I came up with the idea. I came up with the idea and pitched it to Al in March of 2017, hmm. and it airs, you know, just aired a year and a month later. Now we didn't start it right there. That was when the idea was pitched. We started writing it, I guess, around. Um, well, I guess it was around uh, June of last year. Al really liked the idea, and he kind of fast-tracked it, which surprised me. I just pitched the idea to say, I have this idea. Maybe you want to do this. And he looked at me and said, you want to write it? And I was like, "Well, I, I, I don't know. I, don't, I haven't written an episode of The Simpsons. And so he suggested well, you might want to pair pair with a writer. And I said, that'd be great. And I asked Brian Kelly if he liked the idea. It was awesome. Yeah, so the production of an episode, as you know, takes more like nine months. You know, from the time that you start writing it, and the time that uh, it's finished, it may not air exactly. You know when it's, you're done, but uh, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, although we are, we although we are getting the uh, the last retakes in uh, uh, just before the wire.
4: Oh
1: wow! wow. Which we can be staged. <laughs> yeah. No, I when <laughs> I I, <laughs> I think they're all I think they're all in now because. <laughs> when I saw that your episode was airing tomorrow, I was like, "Well, oh man, does David even have time for this yeah. interview today? Like, jeez." <laughs> <laughs> oh no no i'm done and if anything actually
5: i happy. i'm going actually on monday uh, i'll be going to uh, stuttgart for the animation festival there. nice, nice. And i gotta prepare for that
1: <laughs> wow. you became you mentioned becoming supervising director did that position exist in the first seasons of the show before like uh, who uh, who was it before you or was there not were you the first
5: I was more or less the first. I think uh, uh, Robert Chuper was nominally supervising director, but I, they wanted me to do that. They really liked my episodes in the first season, so uh, and I think it was probably coming from Jim Brooks. They wanted me to be supervising director, or uh, Sam actually, I remember, probably they had something to do with it as well. And I, I sort of did that in the second season, sort of looking uh, over the shoulders of uh, Jim Reardon and, and Mark Kirkland, but they didn't need too much you know they were they were, they're were great and mm-hmm. so but that's uh that's that's how that happened Yeah, you know, yeah i did more and more of that as by the third season they said okay we want you supervising more and directing less and i said okay fine with me mm. <laughs> i think i think that was the other thing too because of that i was able to do, do more animation uh mm-hmm. and that's what i ended up doing a lot of the time Or i would help people out like doing the the uh, Blue Danube sequence for helping Carlos Baez out on the uh, Deep Space Homer show, mm-hmm. or even Bob uh, Anderson doing the See My Vest sequence. Because that 2 dozen one Greyhounds was a pretty difficult show.
1: Oh, wow. Well, yeah, you also, in the I Didn't Do It Boy episode for Bart, like, there's definitely some crusty poses in there that I'm like, that eh, looks like a David Silver <laughs> crusty to me.
5: Yeah, I seem to remember doing a few things in that one. Uh, I think I did the scene where... Like, hey kids, Here he's really depressed or something like that <laughs> in that episode. I think that's in that one. Mark Kirkland had me wanted me to do the or maybe I said I really want to do the scene with um you know, with Homer the power of sugar episode mm-hmm. the great speech you know i can't live the button-down lifestyle like you <laughs> i want it all
1: <laughs> well what is there a lot of saying of simpsons quotes within the simpsons team as well because i know like in for fans we do that constantly
5: oh i think yes we we often get into uh like little catchphrases and from the show would come into our Conversation. It was sort of ebb and flow depending on what episode tickled us more than the other. It's hard to recall now, but I just remember that happening from time to time (laughs) i wish i had a better story (laughs) to tell from that but the answer is yes we Mm -hmm. would do the exact same thing i'll tell you one thing that we would always always do we'd always say i don't know
3: (laughs) great confidence you did that in this interview actually (laughs) (laughs) so
4: by
5: the way that was one of my favorite stage directions that made me laugh out very loud because when i read that episode it's you know it was in the blood feud episode and there was And it said, okay, Mr. Burns, what is your first name? Homer. Confident. I don't know. (laughs) 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 That that word confident really killed me. (laughs) (laughs) It's so
1: funny. So, boom, there you have it three of our most recent interviews we have tons more exclusive content on patreon.com slash talking simpsons where you can hear all of those full interviews right now for just five dollars a month you can also hear our other previous interviews like with mimi pond the writer of the first episode aired of the simpsons the christmas special our chat with Paul Provenzano, one of the executive producers of Classic Simpsons video games, who has a ton to tell us about making games like BART vs. the Space Mutants or Virtual Springfield, as well as Bill Oakley, one of the executive producers of this season that we're going through right now, and Reed Harrison, the writer of the X-Files crossover episode. You can hear all of that, as well as our Patreon-exclusive Talking Futurama series, all of Talking Critic as well, that's a Patreon-exclusive, our community podcast for Bob and me go over our favorite comments that month the season wrap-ups the entire first season of talking simpsons so many things available to you right now if you just sign up for five dollars a month at patreon.com slash talking simpsons and don't worry you also when you sign up get an rss feed you can plug into any podcatcher or any podcast device of choice and it will download the episodes directly you don't just have to listen to them on the patreon app just in case you thought that was the case so please hear the rest of these interviews at patreon.com slash talking simpsons and we'll see you next week with another great episode bye
0: wow infotainment